1: Thank you
2: for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal.
1: Everybody, it's Eddie Trunk. Welcome to another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, which is new every Thursday, podcast1.com, Apple Podcast, and of course, now totally free on Spotify. Hope you are having a great week. Thank you for joining me for another interview-packed episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. I hope you enjoyed last week with Neil Sean. Just a quick note, because I got an email or a text actually from Neil about uh, last week's podcast that I just want to clear up for people. Neil wasn't aware of it, but I wanted to let you, the listeners, know. I think you probably have this figured out by now. But each and every week, I tell you the interviews you hear almost every week, every single one of them come from my Sirius XM radio show, which is called Trunk Nation and is heard live Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time on Sirius XM channel 106. And there's a replay every night, 10 to midnight Eastern time. And uh, you can always listen on the app as well if you're a Sirius XM subscriber. So the interviews on this podcast are for people who don't have Sirius or XM and don't listen to that show, or if they want to hear them again, or for people outside of the U.S. or Canada that can't get Sirius XM. But as I always tell you, for the cost of a couple Starbucks, you could be hearing my show and a ton of other content every day, and you're only getting a little tiny taste here on the podcast. But the important thing I want to tell you about that I had to clarify last week with Neil and others, just so you're aware, is because these interviews originate on radio, there are things that sometimes we need to edit around and cut out a little bit. The biggest one being music. Because as I'm sure most of you guys know, you cannot play songs on a podcast unless you have clearance and approval from the publisher, the songwriter, and the artist. Podcasts are a different beast than some other things, and you have to make sure, that's why you don't hear music and songs played generally in podcasts, because they could come after you for the publishing. So that being said, last week during the Neil Sean interview, you heard us talk about this version of ain't talking about love that Neil did and setting it up because that interview originally aired on my radio show where I could play the song on the podcast. You can't play the song. So it had to be cut out. So just here you're aware of how it works, which is another reason why if you're in the U S or Canada and you don't have serious XM, you should come on board because you'll get the songs as well here on this show. We can't, Neil thought something happened with the song and I guess heard on the podcast that it was cut out and I'd explain to him, no, you can't play music on podcasts. That's the case with anything. So from time to time, when you hear me in the course of an interview, if you only listen to the podcast, setting up a song or talking about something we're about to play, the reason it does not air here is because we can't air it on a podcast. Just so you're aware of all of, of how that all works. Anyway, with that being said, let me remind you that we thank Goodies, our sponsor, uh, Goodies Powder, great products. Their new product is called Goodies Hangover. Halloween weekend coming up this weekend, maybe some people tipping a few back. You might get a hangover. If you do, you want to have some Goodies Hangover on hand. Powerful, powerful pain reliever with an added boosting ingredient. You get fast pain relief and a boost of alertness. To help battle the groggy, tired feeling that comes with a dreaded hangover. Hangover relief at the speed of powder. Goodies Hangover is available at Walmart, Dollar General, Amazon, and other fine retailers. Learn more at goodiespowder.com. eddytrunk.com is my website. At Eddie Trunk on Twitter, Instagram, fan page on Facebook. And... I am on Cameo. If you'd like to order a personalized video as a gift for someone, just find me on Cameo. Just search my name and you will see all the details there. Two guests for you on this week's podcast. Coming up first, Steve Stevens. Fantastic guitarist. Best known for his work with Billy Idol. Also uh, has a band with Geezer Butler currently called Deadland Ritual. Talk a little bit about all that. Also, keep in mind, this interview was done a few weeks back, so we talk about some streaming stuff that Steve was doing at the time, which has now passed. So keep that in mind with the interviews as well. Keep the context in mind. Keep in mind some of the things these guys are promoting may have happened already if it's about a live show or a stream or something like that. But still, enough good stuff in the Steve Stevens conversation. I wanted to bring it to you, and we'll do that first. And then we'll follow up with a conversation with guitarist and vocalist Orianti. She, of course, uh, played with Alice Cooper, played with Michael Jackson. We talk about all that with her. She, for a long time, was romantically linked and making music with Richie Sambora. We talk about that a little bit. And she has a brand new solo album out, which we talk about as well. We'll do that one for you second. Double dip with two guitarists, Steve Stevens first, Orianti second on this week's Eddie Trunk podcast. So with that, we'll come back and we'll start with Steve and that's coming up next.
2: The Eddie Trunk podcast. Welcome to the MIP. Yeah. Michael Irvin Podcast. You knew this was coming. Guess who? Let me start this thing off. Join me every week for the Michael Irvin Podcast. We'll give you the full MIP experience. I'm talking everything from football to fashion. I will be chopping it up with playmakers, headline makers, and I am throwing haymakers. I'm the MVP of the MIP. Don't miss it. Download new episodes of the MIP, the Michael Irvin podcast, every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, and Spotify.
0: This is the Eddie Trunk
2: Podcast.
1: All right, let's get into it, folks. On the Eddie Trunk Podcast, Orianthe in a little bit, but we start with Steve Stevens. Steve was talking about a Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp Masterclass in this interview, which has since passed, and uh, we get into a lot of other cool stuff, too. Stuff with Vince Neil, uh, stuff about Deadland Ritual, stuff about Billy Idol. Enjoy Steve Stevens. Steve, how are you, man?
3: Good, man. How are you, Eddie? Family all good and everything?
1: Yeah, I'm hanging in there. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I've been lucky. I've been able to work, you know, being, uh, here in New Jersey, I I've got a home studio and I always did my show from home. So not a lot changed for me as when the pandemic hit, but right. I know for a lot of people that wasn't the case. Uh, you're in LA, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, same with
3: me. I mean, it's, you know, I've got a home studio and, uh, you know, life other than uh, you know restaurants and concerts are obviously, but uh, life is pretty much the same for me. I'm, just, you know, in working and in recording. You
1: know, all the musicians I've talked to during this crazy time, Steve, have all told me the same thing that they are writing or recording or making music virtually or what have you, I think it's going to result in a slew of albums when things get back to normal. But I also think a lot of people are just realizing, you know what, we might as well just put this stuff out. Cause even people that were holding records are starting to actually just put them out because they're already making another record. It seems like what's the workload been <laughs> yeah, for you? Yeah. What, what have you, what have you been working on in, in your studio? Are you writing stuff for yourself or for Billy Idol or what have you been working on?
3: Well, you know, the our original plan, we finished, um, you know, we do our residency in, uh, in Vegas and we finished that in March. And our plan was to go in and record, uh, uh, some new music. So, um, we were literally like the last act in Vegas when uh when when covid hit we stopped doing meet and greets and so we came back we um self quarantined and um our plan was to go in with uh, Butch Walker and he's a kind of one man army you know uh with his studio so he also quarantined so the the three of us got together and uh we've recorded uh you know about six tunes with him Oh,
1: wow. Yeah, I know, Butch. I had him on the show recently because he put out his own album not too long ago. Really talented guy who works with a really wide array, array of artists as a writer
3: and a producer. Is this the first time you worked with him? Yeah, I, he and I, you know, I, funnily enough, you know, someone told me, oh, you know, Butch Joe used to own one of your Steve Stevens guitars back in the eighties. So <laughs> I, I, uh, I dropped him a line on uh, Instagram and said, hey, I heard you uh, used to play my guitar. And so we started a dialogue and, um, uh, I kept saying to idol, you know, this is the guy to work with. He's, you know, he's, he's got one foot in the punk rock door, but also, you know, as you said, you know, he's got such a diverse catalog of things he's done and it really worked out fantastic. I mean, uh, I can't say enough good stuff about him.
1: So, how far along did you get, uh, and are you still working on the Billy Idol record with him? Do you, you did you say you had six songs done?
3: Yeah, I think you know we, we're, we're figuring out and, you know what the best way to put this stuff out, um, possibly an EP, or um, you know some, some you know maybe put put out four songs at a time. But yeah, we're actually done with the first batch of tunes.
1: And you know a guy like Butch has a diverse background he originally was in like an 80s hard rock band back in the day we've talked about all that when he was on but uh he definitely has a pop sensibility to the things that he that he does material wise what can you tell us what it sounds like is there is there some of the the pop leanings in there or is it more a punk vibe what what's the material like um yeah i mean it's it's
3: it's um it's hard to describe but it's it's definitely You know, it definitely has a nod back to the classic Billy Idol stuff, the Rebel Yell era stuff. Um, Lots of guitars. Um, You know, he's a guitar player as well. And so he and I kind of like, we're like kids in a candy store, you know, like, let's do that, you know, as two guitar fans, you know. So, um, you know, it rocks, but in a modern way. I mean, I know that's a little vague, but, but it, uh, you know, it definitely, um, it's definitely an aggressive sounding record. It's in your face, and, but it's, you know, it's all down to the songs, and that guy definitely knows how to help craft great songs.
1: Are you guys working virtually, or since you're all in L.A., are you able to get into a studio together?
3: No, we work together. It was just the three of us. So, um, as I mentioned, you know, we quarantined, and, um, you know, he engineers, and, and uh, it's, you know, it's, it, it was virtually just the three of us in his studio.
1: And how has Billy been through this whole lockdown sort of thing? How how has he been holding up?
3: Um, you know, the, the the real drag is you know he's he's great and, and excited about the music, but um, now his mom passed away uh, about three weeks ago, and and uh, you know as it, it, it's horrible because you can't you know you can't travel. You know she's in, in the UK, and um, he actually couldn't even go to her funeral. I mean, I don't want to you know dwell on that too much but but uh you know it's horrible that aspect of of this whole covid thing is uh is really horrible i usually visit my mom pretty often and she's down in florida i haven't been able to go see her and um so that's the reality of what we're dealing with that's that's the bad stuff you know
1: yeah it really is i mean i had a aunt that i was extremely close to pass away a few months ago and same deal. You couldn't do the send off that you'd want. And it's so challenging. And we all have, uh, our parents and stuff, if we still are lucky enough to have them are older and some are in, in nursing homes and stuff. I've talked to a lot of people, they can't get to see them. And it's, it's very, very, very exactly. challenging. You're right. That, that personal side to things and the the family stuff is, is what really has been the, the hardest part, I think.
3: That is the hardest part. You know, I mean, um, you know, in some respects, uh, you know, my wife and I. Uh, you know, we travel. If I'm not doing the, you know, Billy Idol stuff, I'm doing, you know, All Star stuff. And, you know, there's a lot of traveling, so it's been the first opportunity for us to actually like have house plants and things because we're home, <laughs> we can take care of them. <laughs> so I've developed a, you know, slight green thumb, and uh, and my my wife kicked into gear right away, um, uh, doing masks, and initially she did a bunch of masks for, uh, for the hospital here, um, Cedar Sinai. And, uh, and then it turned into a little business. And so she's cranking out these masks for people. And, um, so, you know, we're doing what, what we can and, and, uh, you know, I'm doing virtual, uh, you know, online, um, stuff, lots of, uh, podcasts and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, well, we'll definitely get into that, but that's that's pretty funny though that <laughs> Steve Stevens gets plants for
3: the first time in his life. <laughs> hey, I'm not going to tell you what kind of plants, though.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, well that's well that's all legal in in California though. You could have those plants if you're talking <laughs> exactly. about weed. You exactly. and
3: I'll tell you, man, those things grow quick. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm sure that, but I, I, my understanding is that it's not to go down a rabbit hole here but to, but growing marijuana is actually really difficult right in terms of like having the right the the right lighting and the right uh environment i have a friend of mine who's a big legal grower he's a he 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 grows from medicinal outlets and he, it's there's a lot that goes on to doing that there's a bit of an art in that i think too well
3: i don't know man maybe i got lucky cuz those things just like grew like weeds <laughs> <laughs> was like I, I kept calling him like Seymour after like Little Shop of Horrors. I'm like Jesus Christ, this thing's going. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, before we move on to some of the virtual stuff you're doing, um, let me ask you: What is the status of, of Deadland Ritual, the band with Geezer and, and Frankie and Matt Storm? Is that still happening?
3: Well, it is, but um, you know, we had actually finished writing uh, all the tunes are written but that's, that's one of those projects which really requires, you know, every band member to be in a room together requires a big studio for a big sound. And, um, you know, original plan was at some point this year, we were going to go in and do, you know, cut the actual album. Um, we just don't know when, when that'll allow it. And then, uh, you know, um, the, uh, the opportunity to do some Billy Idol stuff quickly came to. So, uh, so, Deadland is kind of on hold at the moment, but you know the, the, the material and the stuff will definitely see the light of day.
1: How did you feel about the handful of live shows you did do? I know you did the one in the u s and then you did a few shows in 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 the u k or Europe somewhere didn't you?
3: yeah I mean the, um, the, the, the you know the the, uh, the festival shows were great i mean it's you know for me man as a guitar player to, to get up and, you know, obviously I think I spoke to you about, you know, my, my what a thrill it is to have a rhythm section like geezer and, and Matt Sorum. but the, um, you know, the catalog that you can draw on in the, you know, within a 45 minute set, which is, you know, on the festival shows that's about what we played. I think mean, it was just like from GNR to, Guns N' Roses to, you know, (laughs) to, uh, you know, some Sabbath and, you know, Billy, I I mean, the set list was incredible and the original teams, you know, held up well against them. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, we can, we can crank that baby up again.
1: Yeah, one of the things I did love about the set list, if if I recall, is one or two of the Sabbath songs you did were from the Dio era. And I had Tony Iommi on here not long ago. We were talking, and uh, you know, sadly, with Ronnie being gone, I mean, there's no other way you can hear that material live. So I thought it was cool that I think it was Heaven and Hell, the song, or a couple things you did from that period. Which is, and Frankie can sing the hell out of it. I mean, it's 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 not something you're ever really going to be able to hear with. Any of the Sabbath members uh, attached to it, and with Geezer being in there playing it, I thought that was really cool.
3: Yeah, it was great fun for for me to that. You know, the, 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 you know that those that era of Sabbath is just as valid as any other one. I mean, Ronnie is you know just incredible, and uh, those tunes are just great to play. I mean, uh, yeah, you know that was my that was my. I raised my hand for that. They did "Symptom of the Universe," and that was one of the. So we
1: got to do that. Yeah. yeah. And the last thing on that, Steve, is that, you know, it's, it's interesting when you look at a band like that and I see this all the time, it's, it's, it's very common to an outsider. You look at the band like that and you're like, Oh, there's, they got Steve Stevens on guitar from Billy Idol and they got geezer Butler from Sab, and they got Matt Storm from GNR, these big names, the, the fans assume that getting something like that off the ground is really easy because you've got all these big names attached, but in reality, and I see it constantly, it's really not, it's, it is almost like starting from the beginning. You do really still have to build a fan base from the ground up. Don't you?
3: Absolutely. I mean, in, in, in its innocence, it's, you know, it all starts with, uh, you know, something that might look good on paper. You know, we, we, we didn't know until we got into the rehearsal room and, and and you got to hear what the chemistry is like, you know, do we all have styles that are, you know, um, you know, uh, complementary to each other because that, even though you have, you know, you can have the most amazing players in the world, but if they don't really gel, man, it it doesn't matter. So it started with that. And then all of us, you know, being willing to, um, you know, take the early slots and on the, on the B stage and we, we we're just happy to play, man. You know, it we're was, it was still knuckleheads like
1: that. Well, that's, that's awesome. So let's talk about some, cause we're in a virtual world. Everybody is doing some sort of streaming. Everybody is doing streaming concerts, streaming tutorials. There's a, it's all, everything's internet virtual based now. And you got a few different things going on. One of which is the rock and roll fantasy camp masterclass, which yours is on October 11th. And I know that Rock and roll fantasy camp has been doing these with a ton of artists. I actually did one a couple months ago, talking to people about radio and TV and I'm I'm doing another one tomorrow, but yours is on October 11th. So have you, is this your first one or have you done them before?
3: This will, this will be the second one. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, I didn't really, I've done it in person, you know, and, uh, and in, in rock and roll fantasy camp, if people don't know, it's, so people sign up to get pointers and you kind of you coach, uh, you know, uh, musicians, uh, through a live performance and they eventually get to play and learn the tunes. But I didn't know, know exactly how it would work virtually. And actually the, the way they've set it up is brilliant. Everyone gets to ask questions and I prepare a uh, litany of things that I think people might be interested in. You know, I'm not really a, a schooled guy, they can they can get all the theory and the, the all that other stuff from plenty of other guitar players. So I kind of you know honed in on um, what I think they would really want to know. You know that I've learned over the course of my career, and uh, and a lot of the questions were really smart and really um, intuitive. So you know I got as much out of it I think as, as may, maybe some of the the, uh, the online people.
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed it when I did it, and when they reached out to me about doing it, I I said, well, I don't play an instrument. I mean, I'm not a musician. They said, well, no, you can. We're having producers on and record label people on, and mm-hmm. you start, you know, with my history in radio and TV, they said there's a ton of people that would like to learn about that and, and ask questions about it. So I really enjoyed it. I got great, like you said, I got great questions from people. Everybody's really respectful. Yep. They want to learn. They've got things they always wanted to kind of find out about, and uh, it's really a lot great. of fun. So so yours is October 11th the next one. And you can go to the rock and roll fantasy camp website and you can see all of the people that are doing them. Mine, which is tomorrow, Steve's the 11th or any of the others. And the pricing is there. And I believe there's different tiers now where I don't know if they did that on yours, Steve, but I know on mine where you can just watch or you can be fully engaged where for a little more, you can ask questions and see the person. So there's a a bunch of different uh, price points on it now, I believe.
3: Yeah, I think the, the the starting price is like twenty five bucks just to log on and watch the whole thing, and right. uh, and uh, that seems like a pretty. I mean, look at man, if I could have had something like this when I was fourteen years old and like interacted and asked Jimmy Page a question, I mean that would have been incredible. So I put myself in that. You know, when when I was asked to do it, I went, yeah, this is something I would have loved you know as as a you know budding guitar player and uh, so um yeah i think I and mean, it's so well organized they really have it down when you
1: did the previous one what was the thing that the most that most people wanted to know from you was it like you know uh, can you play the solo to you know rebel yell or whatever i mean what what was the what what were you getting the most or, or was there one consensus thing
3: i think interestingly enough it wasn't so much that Um, you know, I, you know, I've worked with, I'm one of those guitar players that, you know, you know, almost a 40 year career now, and I've worked with so many different people, uh, and, and, um, you know, have been graced with, you know, uh, you know, good sounding records and good guitar tracks. And so I think people are really interested in how to capture, uh, how to capture your guitar uh, you know, for album quality and stuff, because a lot of people have home studios now, but they don't, they don't really, there's not a lot of places to get the knowledge of, you know, okay, how are you going to record an acoustic guitar or a nylon guitar or, you know, rhythm guitar, what's the best way. And, um, so hopefully I passed on a lot of that knowledge is, you know, I'm not the guy to tell them, you know, what scales to play in, you know, to practice, They they can get that stuff online and, you know,
1: yeah, I'm looking at the lineup uh, coming up. So it's me tomorrow. It's Lou Graham on Thursday. Nugent doing his second one on Saturday. Nugent will tell you how to play guitar and hunt.
3: <laughs> I'm right, sure, exactly. <laughs> and skin skin em. <laughs>
1: yeah. I'm sure t- Ted will you know, give if, you all your rifle tips and guitar
3: tips. <laughs> Interestingly enough, you know they, um, you know uh, one of the, one of my most biggest influences. Uh, with Steve Howe from Yes and he uh you know I, I I you know he um is not known for for divulging a lot you know he's kind of like this quintessential English guy. his he and and I I told the rock and roll fantasy people send me I, I really want to see his uh his session and he was fantastic how you know for some reason in this environment and with the questions I think they're getting information from from not just guitar players, but yourself and, uh, you know, they had Shep Gordon and, you know, everybody yeah. in the industry. And, um, I think that, it, that people are getting something that they haven't gotten, uh, from musicians before.
1: Well, and that's a great point because a guy like Steve, Howe. So I, I'm on, uh, I've done a few of these, um, yes cruises called cruise to the edge and I've interviewed Steve. And I know for a fact, Steve is a guy that, isn't so comfortable around large crowds face to face. And actually even before the pandemic was, had a reputation for being a bit of a germaphobe. So a platform like this where he can still interact and teach and, and share information, but, but alleviate some of that direct contact, which some people shy away from even unrelated to the pandemic. I mean, that would be a great platform. I could see how, why he would excel with it.
3: Yeah, it was, it, it was uh I learned so much from his session that, you know, and I've been listening to him since I was 13. I learned so much of his history and the background of his stuff that, uh, um, that I didn't know. So uh, I, th- I think they've really latched onto something with this.
1: So That's interesting that Steve, ha- I mean, obviously Steve's an amazing player, but that's interesting. He's one of your favorites. Were you big into progressive music growing up?
3: Huge, <laughs> yeah. which was, uh, you know, I was, um, the thing, thing was, you know, I had started on acoustic guitar and um, and didn't pick a started on acoustic guitar. This is like the Cliff Notes version. When I was like seven and a half, had a flamenco teacher, a little bit of classical, a little bit of jazz, and didn't get an electric guitar until I was 13. So he, when I heard Steve play, he was the first guy in a rock band, whether it was, progressive or whatever that utilized all these other styles that was tapping into a little bit of classical you know that when i bought that fragile record with mood for a day and things like that on and he um he was really good at orchestrating his guitar parts a bit like jimmy page whereas somebody like a clapton you know had his one blues based thing i love clapton but he, he he doesn't really paint with the colors that these guys do so I really gravitated towards the early Prague guys, Steve Hackett, Robert Fripp, and um, and just the way that they arrange their guitars, like a like a mini orchestra. I, I just
1: I just can't uh, the the irony of that all does it just I just can't it's just funny because you you come up and you're so known for playing with this you know, punk rock icon I know. and. Punk and <laughs> Prague couldn't be two bigger, different <laughs> worlds. You could be blowing your punk cred, Steve.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, that was, that was the thing because when Idol and I met, you know, I wasn't aware that the, the punk thing was such a, in England was such a socioeconomic thing and they were really rebelling about against a lot of these, you know, big rock stars living in their castles and all of this. And, um, so, uh, you know, and, and by then certainly, and I was feeling it too. You know, I'm talking about Prague in the early, you know, um, you know, obviously the first King Crimson record is, yeah, it's Prague, but it's, there's something else about it, but you know, by, by 74 had kind of crawled up its own butt anyway. So, um, but I loved, you know, growing up in New York, I didn't kind of like segment. I didn't put my music taste in boxes because I love the Ramones and, uh, and, and, uh, and bands like Tough Darts and Heartbreakers and obviously, uh, you know, the Dolls out of New York and Kiss, you know, I didn't kind of, you know, as I said, put it into categories. So when I met Billy, uh, we had to find common ground and, you know, fortunately we did, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, I always felt that it was, if he had had another, you know, punk guitar player, well, he already did, you know, Generation X and I felt he really didn't, didn't need that. he needed, somebody who would
1: bring in some other elements. Oh well I couldn't agree more with that because that you know it was the perfect it was the perfect match and it still is because you you bring that that element that would attract me to somebody like Billy Idol and then you you get into it and you realize how great it is across the board so I think it was you know those two different worlds coming together it was a it was a big big plus. Um let me ask you along the lines of social media and everything that's going on and and you doing this everybody doing streaming and virtual stuff and connecting over the internet. So you're also doing cameo now. And did I read right that you are also now on Twitter? <laughs> you really, Twitter, you really dived, yeah. you've, you've dived full in, haven't you, man? <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah, Well, you know, I mean, my wife's really active on, on social media. Right. And, uh, I always felt that anything that I was doing, she was going to talk about and get, you know, get that information out there. Um, but I, then I realized that a lot of my friends and, and, um, and, and, I uh, saw people that i wanted to connect with that I hadn't spoken to in many years. And I thought, well, you know, I'll just, you know, I'm not, I'm not super active on it. I check, check in on it. And, um, I'm more of, you know, Instagram is like the one that I kind of want to have my morning coffee. I'll check, but, uh, you know, it's, um, you know, it's just another, another tool. It's another way to get people you know, aware of what you're doing, because there's, there's a lot of information out
1: there now. Yeah. I've always, um, it's funny with social media. My order has always been Twitter first. I find it the most useful. I get my, the, the, the the most immediate information out there. And I like the fact that you don't need to put a picture up in order to post something. So I do all of them, but I, I, and I'll, I'll look at Instagram here and there and I have one, but I've always liked the interactivity of Twitter and the immediacy of it. And just the fact that, you know, I always looked at it as like, you know, I'm, I'm lucky I've got a ton of followers there. I always looked at it as like, okay, it's like basically texting for me 300,000 like, people and telling them that Steve Stevens is on my show today. So that's, that's kind of exactly. how I've looked at it. If you get too deep into it, I mean, it could mess you up. If, Cause obviously just like anything, there's people with bad intent and and trolls and what have you. But as long as you use it to make it work for you. I have always found it to be actually my favorite one of them, but it's all, all comes down to preference.
3: Yes, yeah, exactly.
1: So you've got a website too. You redid your website. We should tell everybody about that. Uh, as we, we fill out the online stuff, Steve is the website. And, um, and tell me about a song that, uh, your manager told me you put a new unreleased song up there.
3: Yeah, I did. You know, we, we, we decide that, uh, you know, we'll do a proper website. I never really had time to dedicate to it. And, uh, you know, also I felt that, uh, you know, so much of my world was, uh, available on the Billy Idol website because there's a Steve Stevens page on there and, uh, Billy and his people are kind enough to post anything that I'm doing, whether it's, you know, Kings of Chaos or even, uh, you know, uh, deadline ritual they were all supportive of it but then i thought you know it's you know i should have my uh, proper website and then uh, i wrote an instrumental piece as a kind of opening for the for the website as a little well teaser for fans and um so i hope to you know you know update it with uh you know factual stuff and um, going through i'm posting old photos that i come across and interesting little tidbits and things so um so it's you know as you said it's just another way to communicate to people.
1: Yeah, well, look if we've learned anything here, I mean, as a byproduct of this pandemic, everybody is trying to figure out the best way to keep in touch with their fans and stay connected. And you've you've you know in the time that you've been home, which is probably this has probably been a longer run than you've had maybe in your in in decades. Um, it's <laughs> it's giving you an opportunity <laughs> yeah. to connect in some other ways and and explore some yeah. other stuff. So that's kind of cool.
3: Absolutely, absolutely.
1: So we'll remind everybody again, the Masterclass with Steve for Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp is October 11th. You can get tickets for that right now. The website you want to visit is rockcamp.com slash masterclass, and when you go there, you'll see all of them, myself included for tomorrow, Steve on the 11th, and all the other artists that are doing them, and just check the various pricing and all that, because everyone is different. Some, they've got tickets starting at 25 Some they don't. Some are, you know, different price points. But see what you're interested in. And uh, again, you can follow Steve now on Twitter at Steve Stevens. And uh, anything else I missed that's coming down the pike that I don't know about?
3: Um, no, I think that's that's about it for now. I think, um, think that the uh, my master class is uh, eight o'clock Eastern time, so that's five o'clock Pacific. Uh, I think that's a time slot that was. Yeah, it is. Before, I just um, looked at it. Sunday yep. The 11th. Yeah. Okay, cool.
1: Yep. Rockcamp.com is uh, again, where you want to go or just, you know, go backslash masterclass on that. And Steve, one thing I just wanted to ask you, so of all the things you've done and there's things you've done that people know very well and some maybe not so much, is there for you as a guitar player, is there a record that say there's a kid listening to this? He's never heard of Steve Stevens before. He doesn't know, you know, what he's done. He doesn't know the history. Is there a record you direct in that? Is there What's that? <laughs> I said, how dare he? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I meet young people all the time that are just getting into rock music no, and know. they're just discovering yeah. people. I, is, there, is there a record that I you mean, feel is like your most defining in your career that you would tell somebody, if you want to hear what I'm about, this is where you would start?
3: Um, I mean, that's a tough one. I mean, I would say, uh, you know, Rebel Yell Up, obviously. Um, you know, still... You know, uh, I, I never tired of playing those songs, uh, with Billy. So that must mean something. <laughs> um, but also my flamenco a record is a really important other. It's the, it's the other side of me. It's the Jekyll and the Hyde thing. So, um, I would say if, if they're going to, you know, if they're going to listen to the, the craftsmanship and the songwriting and the arranging side of me and the, uh, you know, a uh, you know, mixture of every style, then, yeah, I would say Rebel Yell, but also my acoustic side on Flamenco agogo Gogo is, is something that I think is pretty unique to me as a guitar player.
1: And how about in your catalog, what you feel would be like maybe one of the most overlooked records, a record that you feel strongly about that maybe didn't get the attention it deserved?
3: Um, I, I don't, you know, man, I still think that the Avincio record is pretty good. Uh, I was gonna uh, as ask you that's as, where I was
1: going, yeah
3: you know i get I get a lot of comments from young guitar players who were you know during the nineties it wasn't it was not cool to be that technically proficient, you know shred was not it's kind of like everybody went underground with the shred, and uh it's kind of okay to be to be technically proficient now, and I get a lot of like messages from young guitar players who have discovered that record the they're uh, they're really into it on a guitar level, and uh, you know that's one of those records where um, you know I was really allowed to play as heavy and as lots of extended solos, and it you know it was damn fun to do. Are you in touch with Vince still at all? I'm not. I I saw him in Vegas, and it was um, you know it was all love and, and, and uh, uh, you know it was all loved up, and <laughs> but I haven't I haven't been in touch with him. This is probably about two years
1: now. Right, right. Well, listen, man, it's always great to catch up with you. Uh, send my best to your wife as well, Josie. Wish wish her all the best. And uh, l- good we'll luck do. with the we'll do, with Eddie. the Masterclass on the 11th for uh, Steve Stevens. And again, there's a ton of other ones, but you can check them all out online, as I mentioned. And we just covered all the other things that Steve's got going. And hoping for uh, hearing some of that new music soon. you think you guys might release a single or something in the near future? I
3: think, I think there'll be something out this year. Yeah. Uh, I think, I don't know in what form yet, but I think, I think there'll definitely be some Billy Idol music out this year.
1: Well, that's good to hear. Good to hear. All right, man. Well, hopefully things get back to normal soon. And once we can all start traveling, I'll get a chance to see you and, uh, stay well. Okay. Great. Yeah. It's great to hear from you. Eddie. All right, Steve, take care. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks to Steve Stevens. Another interview for you this week. On the Eddie Trunk podcast, it's coming right up with guitarist, vocalist Orianti.
2: Welcome to the MIP. Yeah. to <laughs> like living podcast. You knew this was coming. Guess who? Oh. Let me start this thing off. Join me every week for the michael irvin podcast we'll give you the full mip experience i'm talking everything from football to fashion i will be chopping it up with playmakers headline makers and i am throwing haymakers i'm the mvp of the mip don't miss it download new episodes of the mip the michael irvin podcast every thursday on apple Podcasts, podcast one and spotify
1: Welcome back everybody. Eddie Trunk here on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. And next up, a conversation with guitarist, vocalist Orianti. She is a great talent from Australia. She also has a solo career which she has reactivated with a brand new record that has just come out. We talk to all of her, we talk to her about all of it right now. Ori, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you, and congratulations on this new record, O, oh, which is coming out on November 6th. I've had a chance to get a little advanced listen to it, and uh, it sounds great. Tell me about putting this one together.
4: Hey, thank you so much. I did this uh, whole record with Marty Fredrickson in Nashville in like 28 days, and I uh, wanted to keep it sort of raw, rock, and real, and not sort of overthought, and we had a blast making it. and um I just put out Sinner's Hymn, the first single, and just shot the music video for of the second single, yesterday. So, And doing a live whiskey show with my band on Saturday, this Saturday at the 19th here in LA. So it's been a blast. I'm so excited to get new music out there. And um, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun creating it.
1: Well, I want to talk to you about that uh, whiskey show because that is going to be an interesting thing where it's a streaming thing, so we'll, sh- we'll be sure to get the word out about that. Uh, tell me about connecting with Marty Fredrickson because he is a tremendously talented writer and producer. I know he's worked with a lot of different artists. How did you end up deciding to work with and connect with him?
4: I've actually known Marty since I was about 20 years old. So when I first came over to the U.S., um, we started working together, writing together, and um, and we wrote actually a song on my last record that was produced by Dave Stewart um, yeah, on there. With, and it was a duet with Stephen Tyler. So I actually wrote the song with Marty and, and Steven came in and worked on it with us too and, and he, he sang on it. And um, that was on Heaven in His Health. And then I went to Nash- Nashville and reconnected with Marty after quite some time, about, you know, like seven years. And, and after we wrote the first track, Rescue Me, we wrote, yeah, that was the first track we wrote for the album. And it was acoustic. And then I went, I came back home to LA and I listened to the demos from my Nashville writing trip. And I'm like, that just feels the way I want to go, you know? And so I text Marty. I'm like, hey, will you produce my album? (laughs) You know? And he's like, yeah. And so that's kind of how it started. And I just went over to Nashville and we just did the whole record together. And he's so awesome. He's so talented. He's a good friend. He's a great producer, but he's a great writer too. So sometimes, you know, you have great producers, but they're not writers, you know? So with him, and it was just basically myself, Marty, and his son. And that was it for the whole record, you know, with all the, all the parts—the drums, bass, guitars, everything—so uh, it was a real blast to do. And and uh, actually, Nikki Six helped. Uh, he sent some lyrics through for uh, "Streams of Consciousness," and um, yeah, that was awesome too to work with him and and uh, have his, have his input. And I can't wait for people to hear that track too. So, uh,
1: so Nicky's involved as well as at least as a as a co-writer on something. So when when I when yeah. I listen to the record and and really listen to a lot of your stuff. To me, there's great guitar playing, and there's certainly a rock edge, obviously, to everything you're doing. But to me, you also, and, and there's certainly nothing wrong with this. There's also a pop sensibility in some of the things that comes into your writing and your playing, and and that really goes back to even your 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 first hit, that huge song. According to you, is that a line you always try to walk, where you you know you want to showcase your playing, your singing, your guitar playing, and, and rock, but at the same time, you've got that. I think that influence in you too, where there's a bit of a pop element, would that be safe to say?
4: I love a good pop song. Okay. I definitely do. You know, and I grew up listening to a lot of, you know, pop music too. Like my dad is a guitar collector. He's a record collector. I listened to Jimi Hendrix, Cream, you know, all that kind of stuff. And BB King and Stevie Ray, Santana. So I grew up listening to all of that and predominantly the blues and rock and all, you know, I'm, I'm, that's where I, you know, kind of, that was all my influences were in that realm. But um, you know, being a teenager and playing in, in cover bands, I listen to a lot of pop music and then, you know, getting busy with Mark Jackson and doing all that and just, you know, I'm a fan of a of a good pop song and, and all that and just a good song and, and definitely, you know, for sure. I, I definitely do have there's definitely pop elements in this record too. Like it's not all like rock and blues. It's definitely got different layers to it.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the things I picked up on about it and I really liked is that there there's, you know, there's some great showcases for your guitar playing and there's certainly a rock edge to it. But yes, there's a blues, there's blues elements, there's pop elements. It's really a a really cool mix of a lot of different things and it, it, it all, you know, really does sound great. I, I want to ask you, Orianti, because... Well, I want to and I want to ask you, because the last time you and I saw each other and had a chance to do something together, it was a few years ago and it was at the Nam show. I'm sure you remember. And of course, at that point, mm-hmm. you were working with Richie and doing the the RSO thing. And you guys had both come yeah. and done my radio show. And, and um, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I'm curious uh, with that, you know, and I, I know that the relationship ended and I, I don't want to get into that. But from a musical situation, looking back on that, was that? Something that you look back on fondly musically, is that something that you enjoy doing working with Richie Sambora and making those that music together? I gotta tell you we're we're great
4: like you know we we're we've been talking now but we've been you know um as i said we're we're in a good place richie and i like uh, we're we're great friends we've worked together, we you know collaborate on stuff still and and support each other with he's got a record coming out, and he's heard mine and loves it, and we've been, we've been writing together too, you know, and um, I guess, you know, when back then with the whole RSO thing, we were really proud of that record, you know, um, and leaving the door open. We are just talking about this the other the other night, actually, you know, leaving the door open for future collabs and everything. Um, absolutely, you know, and I do look back on that experience as like, you know, working with Bob Rock and, and Richie on that record, we spent a long time on it, you know, we were really, really proud of it and everything. Um, and yeah, it was it was just you know it got to a point where we we're just like okay he wanted to make a solo record I want to make a solo record and it just got there and, and now we you know we support each other and everything's, everything's really cool so everything's great to be honest.
1: Well, that's that's great to hear that 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 you're uh, you know musically together again. Safe to say that it's it's a difficult thing to have a, have a public relationship and also work professionally with somebody as you did at that time.
4: I mean, everyone, ha- that's the, you know, the thing is, everyone has it, you know, uh, has something to say about, you know, everything. And when you read like comments on YouTube, whatever the hell it is, or, or Instagram and, um, you know, some people loved it, some people hated it. It was all this mixed thing. You can get caught up in that. But honestly, at the end of the day, we were so, we were really proud of it. And, um, at the end, you know, it's like, we, we love each other and we, we still do, you know, everything's cool. And, and, um support each other but it is I mean it's a difficult thing you know when you when you work together and you live together and you're in the public eye and everyone's got you know what I mean all that stuff going on it it was it was was some craziness (laughs) because it wasn't for sure Um, but yeah yeah you know it's all it's all cool now though
1: you know and the last thing on that, you know, when you guys were to, uh, play, uh, came and did my show together at at Nam, we were at that convention center. It was a couple of years ago. If you recall, afterwards, Richie said, get in the car. And I sat in the car <laughs> with you and Richie, and he cranked a bunch of music that at that time uh, you guys were working on to come out. And if my recollection yeah. serves me right, and you, you can correct me on this because I don't remember exactly, but... What you guys played me and what he was cranking for me in that SUV that day, in that parking lot, to me, it was not what ended up coming out, or at least not the same. Did something change gears? Is there material that never came out that was supposed to? What, because I, what I remember hearing in the car was not ended up, what ended up being on the record. Yeah, I think you heard the demos. I think you
4: heard what, no, not demos, I shouldn't say. I think you heard the mix before they were like, if it was done, you know what I mean? And, and we wrote so many songs for that record, right? So I think you heard the stuff that, that Bob Rock just literally just did, it, you know, and we just cranked it. Because I really cannot recall the songs that we pushed to you. But I do remember sitting in the car and cranking up some heavy stuff, right? And you heard,
1: yeah. Um oh. But yeah, yeah, the car was, was the I mean, car was, was rocking. I mean, I, I remember it, and I remember him <laughs> saying this is just the start of it. And these are the demos or whatever. Well, I remember because you guys had to go and do some appearance somewhere at Nam, And he's like, No, no, Ori dial up one more. You got to play. <laughs> I remember it so fondly. and It was it was great. The windows were shaking. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. But it just it I think it was slightly different than one ended up coming out. And yeah, the
4: the windows were slightly breaking, our ears were bleeding, and we just cranked it up for it. And uh, no, I do remember that um, moment, but I do think that we wrote so many songs that not all of them did make the record, you know what I mean? Because there was just a lot that we wrote, like over, I guess, like 30 or 40 tracks, you know, and we recorded so many as well. Um, I can't remember how many actually ended up on the record, but yeah, you're probably right. We probably played you with some that didn't end up on the record.
1: (laughs) yeah totally right. well hey it sounds like it's not it, what you're saying is it's not entirely impossible now that at some point maybe that's uh, uh some things that didn't make it are revisited because you were saying earlier that you're not ruling out you know potentially uh making music again together
4: no as we were talking about the other day we leave the door open to that you know of course and, and as i said like richie's got his album his solo record coming out i've got mine coming out in november and we support each other in our solo endeavors and all that and in- and, uh, you know, it, it's very, it's all cool now, you know, and, and things, you know, happen and whatever publicly, and it's all this big thing. And then, you know what I mean? It's just like, yeah, it's all good. It's all good.
1: That's good. Well, the new album is coming out on November 6th. It's called Oh. Uh, we just touched on it with Marty Fredrickson. And, uh, I, again, I've had a chance to hear it. It sounds sounds absolutely great. In addition to the album, Orianti, you also have a signature guitar coming out with Gibson. Is that correct?
4: I do. I'm so thrilled about this guitar. It's a J200 and it's the first hybrid. They actually followed me down the rabbit hole on this a crazy Australian. I go to Montana and they say, what guitar would you like to make a signature? And I'm like the J200 and they say, isn't that a little big? And I'm like, yeah, but it sounds amazing. I said, but the only thing is the neck is a little bit, you know, kind of fat to like play like leads on. Can you, it's a bit like a boat neck, especially cause I have, you know, girl hands as well. So if we put a 345 neck on the j 200 then it would be the best of both worlds, right? So it was like a league guitar player is like you know, glorified, you know, and you can just, and, and then the pickup needs to be modified as well. So went in with LR bags who does the pickups and modified the pickups. We changed everything. You put the 345 neck on the j 200 and it sounds incredible. I got the prototype and I'm just, I'm in love with this guitar. It's amazing. It's going to be available, I think, in January, February next year. So, just, just blown away. Gibson did an incredible job with it. So it's the first electric, I think it's the first acoustic electric hybrid that Gibson have done in history. So I'm very honored that they followed my crazy ass down that <laughs> rabbit hole to, to do something like this. So I can't wait for people to check this, this, this thing out because it's so cool. It's so rad.
1: Well, I'm glad that they're still, I mean, I've gotten to know the folks running that company now and they're real nice people and they, they've really made a hell of a comeback with that company in the last couple of years. And it's obviously a legendary brand. So it's great to see that happening.
4: Oh yeah. No, I'm just blown away. I'm so grateful that they, uh, called me up and wanted me to do something with them. So can't wait for people to check this guitar out It's insane. it's really insane.
1: So tell me about the whiskey performance, which is, uh, you said it's, it's this Saturday. Yeah,
4: this Saturday with my band. I threw my band in. We just had rehearsals, and um, I can't wait. You know, we're playing. I mean, I haven't played a show this whole year. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, it feels like 10 years ago I played a show. Um, so we're just like, so excited to play, even though it's to like, five cameramen. Um, you know, it's going to be live stream worldwide from the Whiskey this Saturday. Um, you can get your tickets through Beats and also the Whiskey, and we're playing, like, three or four. New songs off the new album "O" oh, and um, other songs as well, and like an hour show for like ten dollars. And there's also different merch packages you can get, like downloads of the album, and the single, thinner's hymn as well. And uh, yeah, everything's up on my Instagram and also at the whiskey um, website too. So yeah, it's gonna be a blast.
1: So it sounds like you're uh, you're living in LA. Is that where you've been based during this whole lockdown?
4: Yeah, yeah. This is my. I've been. Living in LA now for like 16 years or something like that. So oh, this is okay. My, like, like, okay.
1: My, yeah. So, yeah. so the, the, uh, the performance, just for clarity, it's not open to fans. There's no audience there whatsoever. It's it's going to be the doors locked, but you guys will perform, and it'll be a live, as it happens, ticketed stream, right?
4: That That's great. And it's on demand as well. So you can actually, I think it's 48 hours la- later or a week later, I think you can actually get tickets as well, but I think it's pretty much oh, 48 hours after the show. I've got to get clarity on that, but yeah, it's live worldwide on Saturday, um, but there's going to be no audience you know, due to what's going on right now.
1: And what do you make of all that? Uh, you, you, I imagine you still have family in Australia and everything. I mean, I don't know how the conditions are there. But, but as a touring musician who's played with so many people, what do you make of where things are at right now? And what would it take and what would you need to see for you to go back out on the road and play regular gigs in front of people again? Because there are some artists that are doing it now in certain cities. Yeah, I've heard about the drive-in
4: shows, which seems to be you know going pretty good. Um, I think, you know, safety first because um, we don't know too much about this whole thing. And, and to be honest, it's pretty, you know, when you tell on the news, it's pretty daunting. It's scary. It's like, oh, my God. And, and uh, I've been talking to a lot of different people, my agent and manager and everyone else and, and different artists too. And they're going, oh, hopefully next year everything will be fine when the vaccine's out and everything. But for me, I think that it's really important that, you know, maybe like the outdoor gigs start up first. And then you have a bit of social distancing. You wear a mask. Uh, people are checked, Maybe you got to get a COVID test before you go in or something. I don't know if something's going to happen or it's going to, I don't really know what the solution, the answer is, but I mean, being a musician and just playing live shows, I mean, that's what you work towards. That's what you're, you know, in your room practicing. I mean, when you have nothing to sort of like, that's, hard, that, that's really like a lot of um, the reason why, you know, I, I play music is to play shows, you know, and to go out there and with my band. And that's, it's so fun, you know, um, not having also it's, how we make our living too, and getting out on the, on the road, so it's been pretty difficult for a lot of people. Not only you know like financially, but also mentally too to overcome this and just singing to your cameras in your bedroom, right? so or your yeah, living room. Um, so it's it's a little, it, it's very weird. Um, I'm just praying that something does change drastically, and that the vaccine is available, and and that you know, um, I don't know, something's worked out that shows can go ahead and whether, as I said, it's an outdoor thing where people have to wear masks and and social distance somewhat on big fields or whatever. And the the drive-in thing, um, at this point, you know, that's all I can kind of think about, really. I mean, I just can't wait to start playing when it's safe. But safety first, you know, obviously for the fans attending, the people attending, and and then the band and everybody around. You don't want to put anyone in a situation. so.
1: And I'm curious, with, with you being Australian and growing up in Australia, and, and it sounds like your parents were supportive of your, your musical ambitions and the, they, they, you know some stuff uh, was, was brought on you in terms of influence maybe through them. What, what was the stuff, at least in the rock world, that you first saw as a kid in Australia that or first heard that made you want to be a guitar player and a singer and a songwriter? What were the big early influences for you growing up?
4: My dad is a guitar player, so he had like Jimi Hendrix records, vinyl, you know, Santana, Cream, Albert King, B.B. King, Elvis, everything, you know, Roy Orbison, The Beatles, Stones. I mean, I listened to all of that when I was like six years old. So I grew up in a time walk because I went to school and everyone was listening to, you know, New Kids on the Block or different things, right? Whatever it was in the 80s, uh, early 90s. And then I was like wanting to form bands that like, listen to like B.B. King and C.B. Reyes. I put flyers up and I dressed like a hippie. And so I honestly grew up in a time walk and people thought I was a freak at school. Uh, it was great. And um, I left when I was 15 and joined a cover band and just play, you know, uh, three nights a week until like 20 years old. Until I got a record deal and moved over to LA. But, um, you know, it was really my dad just putting on those records. And then, and then uh, when I was younger, about, you know, when I was like 15 years old, I got signed my first management deal. And, and then I started opening for like Steve Vai's Easy Top around Australia. Um, and, and yeah, and then I, I, then I went and saw, actually going back, um, so it was all over the place. When I was at like 11 years old, I saw Santana play. And he's the reason why I wanted to really play electric guitar because he just blew me away with the way that he, you know, played Europa. Like that's just the most beautiful instrumental ever. Me and the guitar tone, the phrasing, everything about that, and and uh, it just really hit me. And I was like, "That's what I want to do." So it was between like Carlos, Jimi Hendrix, and Stevie Ray, you know, because the freedom in Jimmy's playing too. Um, it's very inspiring. He's constantly searching, you know, when he's playing his solos, and he takes you on a journey, and it's just amazing. And um, he just changed the way that people heard the guitar, and that to me is just, like insane. And,
1: And did you not end up, and correct me if I'm wrong here, did you not end up working with Santana in some capacity? Yeah, well, Carlos um,
4: Santana, uh, I've I've known him since I was like 18 years old when I first met him um, in in Adelaide, Australia. He got me up on stage and we played, he got me on stage and we played like 15,000 people and he kept me on stage for like 45 minutes because I knew every one of his songs, right? Because I bought all all of his albums studied all of his solos, worn out, you know, VHS, you know, I just paused it and kind of tried to learn every solo. And so um, he took that video of that performance and sent it to Corey Smith guitars and a bunch of other people too. And that's how I got invited over to the NAMM show. And that's how I got my record deal. So Carlos really helped me a lot. Um, he was a big supporter and, and still is a great friend and, and uh, very grateful for support.
1: That's his amazing. At 18 years old on stage and playing with Carlos Santana, that's simply remarkable. And, and, and the other thing, and I've mentioned this to you in the past, but I think it's interesting. Most people know you also played in Michael Jackson's band. And when Michael Jackson passed away, the, the, the video clip that was serviced to every news organization that played on a loop for weeks was of a clip of Michael Jackson coming over to you during those tour rehearsals. And, you know, you playing to him. And for whatever reason, that was the isolated clip they showed all over the world. That's what they decided to pull. <clears throat> did, did you have any... Yeah. Did that... I mean, obviously, the shock of Michael dying. But then the fact that in every single video, everywhere, it was 24-7. there was you with Michael. That had to just seem uh, surreal. It was... Honestly, that was probably one of the most
4: insane moments in my life. Because... It was just a mixture of emotions. I like was just in shock. Everyone was in shock because we, you know, rehearsed with Michael the night before he passed until like twelve AM, and he was so happy and everything was great. We got news the next morning he'd passed. Right when we were heading to rehearsals, and and then um, we all got there and, and we were all just like, "Is this real? Is this is it rap- really? Are you like serious? Like you know?" It didn't hit us until. And then everyone was bombarding TMZ, everything, and then the news clips came up and everything was just like, honestly, it was overload of just like, what's going on? And then the emotion, because he became a friend to everybody too, you know, not only was he like, you know, I mean, he's the greatest entertainer ever and, uh, well, one of the greatest entertainers ever to work in, and he was, a, he was so personable to everybody, you know, and so sweet. And uh, we were working together really hard as a group, you know, on this tour and everything, and... And we just felt that family vibe, you know, after four months, something like that. And, and, uh, and it was just, we felt the, the, the loss, and then we were just like going through all these different emotions. And then we turned on the TV, I had that clip running, and then constantly people were messaging me. And then, and then um, my album came out too at the same time through Interscope. So there was all this stuff going on. And then honestly, that whole thing was kind of a blur. It was a bit crazy because um, I was just trying to figure out, because I, I, so, I was really upset at the, at the whole situation. And then you throw it into this sort of media thing. And then every time you turn on the TV, you kinda escape it. And it was, it was a crazy time, for sure.
1: How did you end up getting the gig with Michael Jackson? How did, you, did you go through an audition process? Had he seen you playing with somebody? How did you end up getting in the band? Well, he'd asked around.
4: And apparently, he asked Carlos. Santana and, he, and and Santana said me and then and a few other people he'd asked around and they threw my name back and then he turned on the Grammy Awards and I was playing with Carrie Underwood at the Grammys last name with her and then I got a, a message through MySpace I was working with Diane Warren I was in doing a vocal take and I got a MySpace message that said hi I'm Michael Jackson's musical director, Michael Bearden, and you're exactly what Michael wants in his band. And I'm like, is this for real? Like, I thought it was a joke, actually. So I thought it to my manager at the time. I'm going, is this real? He's like, yeah, it is. Michael's calling you tonight with uh, Michael Bearden. I'm like, okay. And I get a call. Um, hey, this is Michael Bearden. Hey, this is Michael Jackson. Like, would you learn um, "Day Diana and beat it and want to be starting something t- for tomorrow, uh, like early afternoon, and come in and play it at, at, um, you know, at, at rehearsal center staging.
1: And I'm like, uh, sure. Like, it was just like crazy. So it was I actually remember, him that called that. you or, or he actually called you personally yeah. at that point. It
4: was Michael Bearden. And yeah, I believe it was Michael Jackson's, but we supposed to on the phone and it, was, it was crazy. I was like, Oh my God. Like I've got to learn like, what is going on? Is this for real? This is crazy. So I ran home, learnt the songs and then ran to center staging the next Morning, and just plugged in. And Michael Jackson walked in, they dimmed the lights. He sat down on the couch in front of me, and they cranked. He said, I want to hear it really loud. And I was just like, How do I play guitar again? Like, legit. Like, I was going, <laughs> Oh my God. Um, I, I'd never been that, I don't think I'd ever been that nervous, actually, ever in my life, to be honest. Cause it was like literally Michael Jackson on a couch, me in front of him, standing there alone, like, playing the beat at well. <laughs> I'm like, Shit, this is crazy. I, I do remember that very vividly that moment i was like oh my god so yeah crazy time but i'm very very grateful that i got to work with him uh for the time i did
1: truly when did he tell you you had the gig right after you got done playing those three songs or did you wait it out a little bit yeah right when i was done like
4: i literally we finished and he turned around and he said you're all hired and i'm like wow okay oh my god and everyone was like really emotional we just got And we just, yeah, it was crazy. And then we all signed these forms and then started rehearsals. That was kind of what happened. You know, it was was really wild, really wild times for sure.
1: It's amazing. And of course, you also played with Alice Cooper, who we all love. It's just one of the greats and great gentlemen and great people. And I'm sure that was an amazing experience for you as well. And you get up every once in a while and still jam with him, with Nita and the rest of the crew, right?
4: Oh yeah, Alice will forever be family You know, I loved being part Of that whole, I mean, the whole Situation, celebrating Halloween every night With Alice was awesome, and the band And, uh, you know, they're, they're My brothers for life, and his Whole family, and the Cheryl, and Calico, everybody And love Nita, and, and Happy that he found Nita when I Decided to leave and join the RSO Thing, and, and um, You know, they're just amazing Amazing people, and players, and everything And, and, um And I also played on the Hollywood Vampires first record, so I filled in a couple of times with the Vampires and and that as well. So it's always an honor getting to... uh, I just played... I just jammed with Alice at the Pudding um, end of last year, too. So that was a lot of fun. But yeah, it's just... You know, he's such a blast. He's one of the greatest entertainers, too. I mean, getting to work with, let's say, like, Michael Jackson and then Alice Cooper, who's like... They just both so out there and so great and they have different worlds, but they're just um, all about entertainment value of it, of the show too. Apart from performance and and being great, you know, singers and everything. So definitely learn a lot from both of them.
1: As a musician, Ori, are you, are you, do you like the idea? Like, would you entertain the idea again at some point of being plugged into a huge existing band like alice cooper or in the pop world michael jackson or whatever and coming into a band like you did in those situations versus being your own artist writing your own songs and obviously there's a lot of people that do both but do you have a preference would you do you rule out ever going back and joining an established artist again
4: no i i would never rule that out i think that I, I have a blast doing that too. That's the thing. I, I love doing my own things. Um, you know, there's a lot of pressure when you're doing your own thing too, because, uh, you know, you're doing sort of everything like you know, writing, recording everything, and then um, you know, running the whole ship. But um, when you're a part of something else, um, I, I really enjoy. It. As long as if it feels right, if it's the right kind of fit, and everything's cool and the energy's right too, absolutely, absolutely, I'd never rule that out.
1: And last thing, um, I I, you know I've I've been I've been friends with Sebastian Bach over thirty years. I've known him forever. I'm friends with the guys in his band. We're always in touch. And uh, I heard you were writing some songs with him, right? You guys were working on some stuff for a record for him. We wrote some really cool stuff. Yeah, I love Sebastian
4: and his wife, and they just and you know Suzanne, they're just great people. And and um, yes, Sebastian called me up. He's like, "Hey, do you have some riffs?" And I'm like. I do. And so I sent him to this demo I did on like Garage Band, Logic, whatever. And then I love it. They come around. And so we actually cut the demos in his garage, like 15-year-olds, you know, like around with like Jeremy Colson on drums, the place with Steve Vai. And, and it was so fun. And, he, and, and then we went back into the studio and just cut the demos. And he put his vocals down not too long ago on the song that we did. And it was so great. So heavy. It, it's awesome. I can't wait for, I mean, I don't know. I think it, I think he's putting on his record. That's what I heard last, so um, but I just had the demo of it, and it was awesome.
1: Well, good. It's been a little while since he's had some new music, so I'm looking forward to seeing what what you guys whipped up and everything else he has, uh, you know, that he has coming down the pike as well. All right, so we'll remind everybody once again: your new album, O. Oh, is out everywhere November 6th. I'm sure right now, if you want, you can do the, the pre-order bit and all that sort of thing. And we want to remind everybody to uh, check out Orianti this coming Saturday, live from the whiskey. This isn't one of those pre-taped things where they're just going to show it. You're, it's actually going to be, people can actually watch it live as it happens, right? We're doing we're doing everything live.
4: Um, yeah, live to tape. And, and basically, it's just a full hour show. Three brand, three or four actually brand new songs off the record, and yeah, it's live worldwide. So, the different times and different zones, of course. So, I'll put them up on my socials, but you can buy your tickets now through Veep and at the whiskey on the, on the uh, website, too. So and, yeah. for,
1: so, and for people that actually want to watch it live as you do it, what time are you starting LA time? I believe it's 7 p.m. Okay, so ten time, Eastern, but- ten Eastern, seven Pacific. If you want to log in and actually watch it live, and then as you said, it'll be archived and people can buy into it and watch it if they're not able to to tune in at that time.
4: Absolutely, I think it's a few days later too. You can watch it. So
1: yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, that's the world we're in now. It's it's uh, it's streaming or nothing for the most part, and everybody is doing I it. In every every possible configuration and it's almost so hard to keep up with all of the different ways people are doing it. Cause some of it is like we shot something, but we're going to debut it at that time. And others it's like, no, it's an actual live concert. And so it's, it's a lot for people to navigate. So that's why it's important to get the proper info out there.
4: Oh, absolutely. And it, it's crazy. Even when I went to rehearsals the other day, it's like, Oh my God, this is rehearsals. Everyone's like, it, it's such a weird, like, like normal things, you know, and then wearing the mask and, and just do we hug each other? Do Hi. Like, <laughs> it's like, you just flew in. Oh my God. Like, you know, should I stay away? And then, you know, getting tests, like COVID tests and getting, you know, we're playing to five cameramen like that are shooting this in HD at the whiskey. And, and, uh, that's kind of right. That's, that's all that's allowed in the, in, in the, in the place too. You know, like I think this, my assistant's going to be there in the band and, and just the five cameramen and maybe two other people That's it. and everyone has tests and it's just very much, you know, uh, they're being really careful, super careful as we have to be these days. So, um, it's, it's crazy. I'm excited to play. I'm, I'm really happy that we're doing this for sure. So I hope people enjoy it. And, uh, yeah, it's only $10 for a ticket. You can get it on uh, this Saturday. It'll be a lot of fun.
1: All right. Well, listen, best of luck with that and best of luck with the album. Again, uh, uh, the album is just called O, oh, and it's out on November 6th. It's great catching up with you. It's been a little bit, and uh, I wish you all the success and hopefully get to see you somewhere soon. Thank you
4: so much. Thank you so much. You take care, and thank you for having me on this show and all you support, too.
1: You got it. Take care. Okay, we'll see you soon. Thanks to Orianti. Much appreciated. Always great to visit with her, and thanks earlier to Steve Stevens, for joining us on this week's podcast. Remember to follow me on social media at Eddie trunk, Twitter and Instagram, where I am most active in that order. Eddie is the official online home, become an all access member of my site. And you can get yourself uh, some radio on demand whenever you want. And a lot of other cool stuff as well. And remember the interviews you heard come from my daily radio show trunk nation heard on Sirius XM one Oh six volume. Listen every day live, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time on 106, nightly replays, 10 to midnight Eastern, and full shows and more on demand on the SiriusXM app. Also, heads up, if you happen to be in the area of Middletown, Ohio, which is outside of Cincinnati, because I am going to be there this weekend at a place called Land of Illusion in Middletown, Ohio. It's a really cool show happening there under the name of Bald Man a great band with an actor and a musician lead singer goes by the name of bald man. And he also did a horror movie and at land of illusion inside the theme attraction, uh, they are going to be showing the movie and this band will perform and I will host the evening on Friday and Halloween Saturday. So the 30th and 31st, I will be in Middletown Ohio with the bald man tour. At Land of Illusion, if you're in that area, come by and say hello. And again, we thank goodies, goodies hangover, powerful pain reliever, boosting ingredient, fast pain relief, and a boost of alertness to help you battle the groggy, tired feeling that comes with a hangover. It is hangover relief at the speed of powder, and it's available at Walmart, Dollar General, Amazon, and other fine retailers. More info, go to goodiespowder.com. Thanks to Katie Irizarry, the producer of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. I will see you guys next week, next Thursday, for another all-new episode. Have a good week.